The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. Our New Testament reading comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, starting in verse 33. And they, Jesus and the disciples, came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. John said to him, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly, I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. Where their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. And then verse 13 of chapter 10. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, to you whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms And bless them, laying his hands on them. This is God's word, and it is true. Muhammad Ali, Simone Biles, Roger Federer, Michael Phelps, Tiger Woods, Michael Jordan, they all sit upon a mountain. What is that mountain they sit upon? Goat Mountain, greatest of all time, whether in basketball, football, golf, swimming, baseball. Greatest of all times, GOAT. It's an acronym defined as the ultimate incarnation of anything from an athlete to an automobile, GOAT. And GOATs are not just athletes, friends. Who is the goatest scientist, who is the goatest author, composer, musician, president. 
What is the goatest car, vacation destination, university to attend? We love goatists. We love getting to as, cl- to as close to goats as we can. Why? Because it ups our status. I met a goat once, we say. We love having what the goats have to feed our ego. We love going where the goats go to feel exclusive and elite like Vale. We know we'll never be a goat like these folks, but we still ram our way up our own goat mountains, don't we? Where'd you go to school? Where do you work? How much do you make? What kind of car do you drive? Where do you live? Who do you vote for? How many scripture passages do you have memorized? Who is the goatest here? Or I'll call it the ghost here. The greatest of all saints time. Who's the ghost here? Because friends, they might not actually be in this room right now. Jesus will tell us. But where are they? The goat phenomenon has been around since our first parents, Adam and Eve, decided to attempt a trip up God Mountain, where our first human father would choose to become like God in believing that we, human beings, not him, were the greatest of all time. And throughout the Old Testament, Israel would struggle with a goat complex, wanting to be bigger, stronger, mightier, like the mighty nations around them. Kings of Israel would become goats and would rob from the weak and the helpless in order to gain a foot up the hill. In fact, in today's passage, this is the center of a discussion for the 12 followers of Jesus. Jesus and his disciples are making their way down to a promised place, which Jesus has predicted already twice in the Gospel of Mark. Which way is that? The way of the cross. After being named the goat, the Christ, the Messiah by his followers, he says to his disciples, let's get down from here. Let's head to Jerusalem where I'm going to die, he says. On their way, they stop in Capernaum, probably at Peter's place for a rest. And as they're taking off their coats, Jesus asked them, what were you all talking about before we got here? And like kids busted for grabbing an Oreo from the cookie jar, like young kindergartners, they just stop and say nothing. But scripture shows us what Jesus heard them talking about. Look at verse 34. They had argued with one another about who was the goat. Who was the goatest disciple? Who was the greatest Friends, we got to take comfort as we hear this passage that we're not alone in our climb up goat mountain. But Jesus, like a teacher with 12 young kindergartners, sits them down for a lesson on kingdom climbing. It's one of these lessons that every sheep, every follower of Jesus must have ears to hear. It's a lesson that calls for the complete reversal. A reversal from greatest of all time to least of all time. Where the greatest of all time, the maker of time itself, would become himself the least. 
And I made today's proposition and today's passage rhyme, kind of like Daniel Tiger. If you ever watched Daniel Tiger, if you have to go potty, stop and go right away. You don't forget that. So I just wanted it to rhyme so you wouldn't forget it this morning. And hear this. This is the lesson Jesus tells to his little 12 children. God's kingdom is coming by me making myself small. So your sin and yourself must also fall. God's kingdom comes by Jesus making himself small. So your sin and yourself must also fall. How does Jesus make himself small according to today's passage? And how does he ask his disciples to respond? First, Jesus becomes the servant of all. Let's look at the first part of this passage, verses 35 to 41. The problem the disciples are having is all about status. They think there's something because they're with Jesus, the Christ, the goat. It's like they've now become Harvard grads who work for Amazon and who are best friends with Elon Musk. What has that done to their mind and their heart? It's made them exceptional, ego-enlarged elitists. We're with Jesus. Yep, something special. And Jesus says to them, you want to have first place in God's eyes? That's what you're arguing about? Then here's what I ask you guys to do. Take the lowest job. Take the job no one would choose. Become the servant of all. Stop playing the goat game, guys. And what does Jesus do? He invites a little child into the discussion. Charlie, could you come up here for just a second? I didn't warn him on this one. But he invites a little child into the discussion and wraps his arms around him to show him the kingdom is not about social standing or status. You're not bouncers at the best club who will only let in A-listers. Let in this kid who the culture of our day would say, and Jesus' day actually would say, he had absolutely no value to them. If you let this kid in, you just let me in, Jesus says. And not just me, but my father as well. When Jesus predicts he's going to be delivered into man's hands and be killed, he's saying, this is the way the kingdom comes. This is the way God's will is done, by getting low. When Jesus heals the sick, the lame, the demon-possessed, the blind, he's taking a servant's last place. No one serves or even touches those people in society They are those people for a reason. But Jesus puts his hands and arms around the least of these. As he's describing this with his arm around a child, John chimes in and says, Jesus, we saw a guy casting out demons in your name, but he wasn't in our club. So we tried to shut him down. Wasn't one of us. And Jesus says, Don't put the kibosh on him. He's serving like I'm serving. That's a sign he's on the list. In fact, so is the one who ran to the well to get you some water. He'll be in God's kingdom as well. Servants. 
you recognize God's kingdom by servants. I remember going to my Christian grad school. I won't say the name of it. But it was a Christian school that's got some reputation in Christian circles. And I remember hearing at the invocation, the president of this school saying to these students, you all are cream of the crop. And at that time, at that very time, I had a little stomach bile come up. Because I watched everyone's egos expand. We're the cream of the crop. What is he saying? Why is he saying this? Because we've been gifted a brain? Because we've been raised in middle to upper class homes? Yuck! Cream of the crop? What is that? But I tell you what, if I'm honest, I get a little surge of goat blood course through my veins when I tell people where I went to grad school. What about the child resting in the arms of Jesus? We don't even know his name. Maybe he was a barefooted peasant boy who Peter's wife hired to haul wood and carry water. And Jesus has his arms around him. Least of all time, serving the least of all. And when you serve the least of all, Jesus says, you're serving me. Our sin and our self must fall as we become servants of the least I get concerned about the church's ability to understand this kingdom reversal when we say there are tasks that we feel are beneath us, where we complain about having to do things we don't like to do. When we show up on Sunday morning to be waited upon instead of wait upon. Where is the kingdom of God being seen this morning, right now? In that nursery, in that nursery is where you will see the kingdom of God. Where are you maybe feeling unwilling to get down, to get dirty? Where are you hesitant to serve because no one will see it? Maybe volunteer to serve an Alzheimer's patient a meal without being seen. Ask God to show you where do the least of alls live in your life? And put your servant arms around them. Because it is there the greatest in the kingdom of heaven are found. In obscurity. In obscurity in serving your family. In serving those you love and who need you. Not on big stages with big pulpits. But in small places even with little puppets. I remember watching a video of one of my heroes, Fred Rogers, I'll admit. And there's this video of him looking upon a girl with a mental disability. And he's holding Daniel Tiger in his hand. And he's looking at her like she is the only person in the world. The greatest of all time, Jesus, served you by becoming the least and the servant of all. Go and welcome him and his father by doing the same thing serve. Secondly, Jesus not only becomes the servant of all, he becomes the servant of all by becoming the sacrifice of all. We see this in verses 42 to 50. Jesus maybe still has his arms around that boy. And he says with the protection of like a papa bear, anyone who does anything to cause one of my own, one of these little ones to sin, there's going to be hell to pay. That's what he says. 
Where did that come from? It seems to come out of the blue, this warning. But what Jesus is driving at is this. Disciples, we're in wartime. Sin and self doesn't fall without a big fight. And I need you in the fight, Jesus says. If not, you're going to stay elitists. You'll become religious, thinking that your good performance or your moral standing will get you into the kingdom of heaven. It will do nothing of the sort. And he warns them, don't allow any of that kind of teaching to invade the church. Because if it does, the people will start treading for water without a life preserver. And you will go down into the place of death, into the place of hell because of it. Religion doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. And so Jesus is warning them, when you have the temptation to have anything else promised to save you, it's got to go. Cut it off. Jesus isn't asking them literally to cut off their hand or cut off their foot or gouge out their eye. But what he is asking them is to take the sin of self so seriously and so soberly that they would be willing to walk into God's kingdom deformed, crippled, lame, missing an eye, then be thrown into hell, into Gehenna, the trash heap of those who reject God and make much of themselves. Sacrifice your body, Jesus says, for the sake of your soul. We've seen and heard and read this week about war-torn Ukraine. And Kimberly mentioned it in her prayer, people sitting in subway stations or basements with what in their possession? Only what's on their back. As the enemy is closing in on them, you don't see them wheeling in baby grand pianos and large Ferraris down into the subway station. No. What is essential is what they have. Everything else must go. This is the kind of mentality Jesus wants his disciples to see in that Jerusalem road that's before them. He says, I'm here to serve this people by dying and anything that gets in the way of that needs to be cut off. Jesus then looks at his disciples and he says to them, everyone will be salted with fire. What does that mean? It means there's going to be persecution and trial and war coming, disciples. He's promising them a hard road ahead of them. But why salted with fire? What does salt have to do with fire? Well, what does salt do? In their time, salt is a preservation agent. It preserves and it purifies something. It also gives things good taste. And every grain sacrifice in the Old Testament was to be salted. Every sacrifice was salted to mark that God's purity and preservation was over it. When disciples are salted with fire, Jesus is saying, no matter what trial comes your way, you're going to be okay. You're going to be preserved. How? Through the only sacrifice that could protect or preserve us, the work of Jesus on the cross. He is our salt sacrifice. He was willing to have his hands cut open. He was willing to have his feet broken. He was willing to have his side split open so that we could be purified and preserved. And in verse 50, he says, have that salt in you. And then you won't be striving to be the goat. You'll be content 
to be the last one into the kingdom. Trials, wartime friends, does this to us. It causes us to reprioritize what's important to us. And Jesus is saying, don't lose sight of the salt of my sacrifice for you because nothing else will preserve you. Let yourself fall into last place. And he says, be the taste of Christ by being at peace with one another instead of being goats, jockeying for position. Friends, as we're being drafted into kingdom battle, what is your hand still hanging on to? Where are your feet still tempted to go and wander to? What are your eyes still looking back on instead of looking at the cross? You remember the story of the hiker whose arm was caught within a rock wall? And he could not, he was pinned, he could not get up. What did he have to do in order to live? He had to cut off his arm because staying there would only lead to death. Friends, we're coming upon a season in our worship year where we celebrate Lent, the springtime of our soul. Where we spend 40 days preparing to recall the sacrifice of salt, the cross of Jesus, and the preservation of life found in his resurrection. Friends, what might need cutting off this season that your self-indulgent hands or feet or eyes are way too caught up in? Would you consider even a technology fast for a week starting on Ash Wednesday? Take a break from social media, from the news, from Candy Crush. Because it's wartime. These things don't save you or make you more holy by getting rid of them. Let's be clear. But sacrificing these things can direct your eyes, your hands, and your heart to the God who does save you. Consider taking a break from some of those things and cutting them off. Jesus becomes a servant of all by becoming a sacrifice of all so that he can be safe for the small. Look with me at the last few verses, verses 13 to 16 of chapter 10. The disciples, they give me great encouragement in their slowness to understand what Jesus is saying. He had his arm around a kid and said, welcome and serve those. And look what happens in these verses later. Parents are bringing their children, their little children, tiny children. They're probably bringing their one-year-olds, as was tradition, to the wise rabbi. And the disciples are still so caught up on their important mission that they rebuke the parents. Not just turn them down, but order them like a demon away from Jesus. The disciples believe the children are wasting Jesus' important time and mission. But friends, in the only time in the gospel the word is used for Jesus, he becomes indignant, angry because of something he sees to be completely unjust, holding children back from him. And he rebukes the disciples and saying, these are the ones who belong with me, who belong to the kingdom. And whoever doesn't come like them doesn't come at all. What does he mean? What does it look like to come as a little child? What was keeping the disciples from allowing these children in? These little poopy pants had nothing to offer, they thought. 
They had nothing to bring Jesus. No status. Because of high mortality rates, children were considered dispensable and of little value until they were about 13 when they could start working and start contributing to society. Until then, they were worth nothing. And Jesus is asking anyone who desires, who desires, who wants to come near to him to come like little children. And how do little children come? They bring their nothing. They bring their lack. They bring no reputation. If you wait until you have something to bring, friends, the old hymn says you're never going to come at all. That's the beauty of little children. They don't think in terms of reputation or religion. That's what middle school is for. Okay? They know they have nothing. And that's enough. I asked several moms of young kiddos to help me answer this question. What do you see in your young kiddos that is much less evident in adults? And these same themes were evident. Listen to what the parents said. Unrestrained joy and expression because they don't carry the bags of the world. Kids who aren't afraid to ask questions and ask for help. Kids who implicitly trust in those who are charged with taking care of them. Jesus, him becoming the least of all servant and a salty sacrifice makes a place of safety for these kids to trust. You can trust me. Come here, kids. And they run toward him with nothing. And he takes them in his arms and blesses them with every good thing. Little lambs, you are loved in what you lack. Little sheep, you are safe in my sacrifice. Little children, you are covered under the protection of my wings. Come here, come here. Friends, warning. If we, church, are doing anything to prohibit childlike faith... And Lord, please root it out. Rebuke us. Friends, we're Presbyterian. And we baptize children unapologetically because of verses like this. Children bring nothing. And Christ holds everything. Why would we keep them from entering into the church by this sacrifice and this sacrament? The sign of Christ's purification. To such belongs the kingdom of God, Jesus says. Let them come to me. Baptism doesn't save our kids. Faith in Jesus saves our kids. But the water welcomes them into the arms of this living, breathing body of Christ. Let's not make faith harder for our kids. Let's let our measures of what makes for a worthy Christian to fall. Let's not add more to our nothing. Jesus is a safe refuge to anyone who comes small, needy, trusting, without reservation, and without reputation. Kids fear anything bigger than them. And a holy God is to be feared, but not to be afraid of. When Jesus, the greatest of all times, is the one inviting you into his arms and forever holding on to you. Run, kids. Run, saints, into the safety of Jesus' arms. I'll close with this. I was talking with a friend this week about his struggle with feeling worthy. He said sometimes he avoids, even on Sunday mornings, like conversations with people because I don't really have much to contribute I don't have much to say. I can't always keep up with what people are talking about. 
So he just stays back. And we wondered together if does that also keep you from running to Jesus? But as we closed our time of discussion, we watched together one of my favorite illustrations of gospel safety. Again, from one of my heroes, Fred Rogers. And he was singing the song, It's You I Like, to a boy confined in a wheelchair by cerebral palsy. And as Mr. Rogers sings, the boy with his crippled hands and his lame feet smiles in the love of someone who asks him merely to come as he is. It's you I like. It's not the things you wear. It's not the way you wear your hair. But it's you I like. The boy struggles in his disability to sing along, but then smiles this wondrous child's smile. Two wonders here he confesses. His worth and his unworthiness. Children of God, there is no better, safer place than in the love of the greatest God of all time who would serve us as the least of all with his sacrifice and who would welcome anyone bringing nothing that they are forever safe in his holy arms. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for our time together in your word and the invitation that it offers us to come bringing nothing. Get us off of Goat Mountain. Root out the things. Cut off the things that are tempting us to sin, that are living independently of you. The places that we go, Father, that we're tempted to believe we're bigger than we are, keep us away from those places by us cutting our feet off. Our hands that go and pursue other things, to do other things to make ourselves holy or make ourselves feel better. Cut those off that we see in you is our holiness. In you is our satisfaction. And Father, gouge out the places that our eyes are wandering to go to see the lust for more or for better. Help us to see that you are the most and you are the best. And Father... Remind us of how safe little lambs who bring nothing are in your great arms. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.